Hello, welcome to an episode of the Big Footy Tiger Cast. It's post-season, and we've already had our first technology glitch. Uh, just you know, straight off the bat, couldn't hear Justin. He couldn't hear me. It was all happening, but we're we're back on board now. So it's been a, a pretty big season, and it's uh, when it's everyone thinks it's time to wind down. There's always more questions that need answers, and this is what's not all about. In our first edition of Ask the Oracle with Justin Trump. Welcome to the show, mate. <laughs> hey, Chris, how you going? Good, thank you. It's starting to take off that Ask the Oracle. I'm glad you've embraced it as well. <laughs> well, I'm self-proclaimed, so I've got to make it work, right? <laughs> true, true. It wasn't like we fit upon you. That was your own doing, but with good yeah. reason too. So I suppose tonight was all about just collating a few of the questions out there that the listeners actually had for the show um, mm. and just getting... Pretty... Yeah, there's some questions out there and just uh, sort of running and, and digging into it a little bit. So before we get... Start... Let's let's not uh, also forget that we're sucking the marrow and the enjoyment out of every morsel of you know winning two premierships out of years and probably unlucky to win three out of three. So, you know, it's also good to you know, keep celebrating and acknowledging uh, what an incredible season the boys have had. Yeah, it's been a pretty good year, and I mean, if you look back pre two thousand and seventeen, if someone has said you'll win two flags in three years, I think we all would have jumped at that opportunity. And like you said, there's plenty of room for more to come and I think you can kind of see that in the way the players and the coaching staff conduct themselves, that they know there's a real opportunity here to to get a few more flags. Um, I kind of feel like 2018 is maybe a bit of a missed opportunity now, due to maybe faults of our own, but they learnt from that and bounced back this year. But uh, it's nice to, to jag a few more, especially when I suppose I resigned myself to the fact that I wouldn't see one in my lifetime, so I'm glad to have seen two and more to come. Yeah, it's just incredible, and it's... Um what the group has achieved and where they've got to, um, I think, and, and this isn't, you've got to understand, and the reason, the, I, I feel the reason why I'm able to accurately predict how we're going is because I'm sort of above the, the noise and, you know, we can fall into, um, you know, St Kilda and the Bulldogs, um, you know, they've, they've done well over the trade period and they've got a really conducive draw and everyone's talking them up. That, to me, is all just noise. They, they are not even fucking close to where we're at right now. And I'm going to go more into why I, I can say that with such... <coughs> excuse me. With such definition. Um, but there's actually science behind it. Um, and, and just talking, you know, with a few of the people that work behind the scenes, that they're like, we don't... I mean, we sort of knew where we were going and where we were trying to take it but where we're at right now we you know obviously that's where we plan to be but until it actually happens um you know it, it it's it's just anyway uh, i i just feel you know how i've been able to accurately predict this based on it's based on science and attractive fields and more on that later <laughs> yeah for sure and um before we get into it, the fixtures obviously dropped as well, and uh, we've got 14 MCG games, which I think is one more than last year, so it'll uh, really please the opposition supporters. Uh, 10 of our first 13 at the G, two Marvel games, and for the first time in a long time, we're playing North Melbourne and the Bulldogs at the MCG for a home and away game. We obviously had the final against North Melbourne at the G, which was a, a complete disaster, but that's not a bad fixture. We play the Crows, Giants, Carlton, Collingwood and West Coast twice. So for for how we went this year winning the flag, I think it's a pretty reasonable draw. They've ranked us seventh hardest, um, and I think that's mainly based on the, the run home and the amount and the type of travel that we've got. Yeah. But, 
really, Chris, I, I was actually hoping for something more or less conducive than that, <laughs> just to remove all doubts. Um, and uh, as we get into this conversation, um, and I've mentioned on Twitter, I, I, we really haven't got out of second gear. Um, there's so many more levels that this group has got to go. Um, and I, I actually would have liked to have seen a little more degree of difficulty in the draw just to shut the likes of Kane Corns up and, you know, those idiots from Geelong that get into us and, you know, all those kind of people that want to poke holes at the draw um, and just really reiterate our philosophy of anyone, anywhere, anytime, you know? Yeah, I agree. And on that, based on that motto, and I, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, but for the first time in a long time, I didn't really care what the fixture threw up at us because I know that our best is going to beat anyone at any ground. So whatever comes up, comes up, and we'll take it on. And, yeah, we'll lose our share of games as well. But um, seeing what the boys have produced year on year, you know that their best is going to be good enough. Correct. Yep. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, everyone's touting... Or maybe maybe not uh, <laughs> Grant Thomas. <laughs> what a deal that you know. Every time he opens his mouth on Twitter, he look he looks more and more stupid. The more he says about Richmond, he should just concede that he's he's made a mistake in his assessment of the group. And because every time he says he still can't understand how we've won two premierships, he just looks more and more like a goose. But he's not the only one, though. I mean, there's a lot of just regular Joe Blow supporters as well. They still think we fluked it. We're the worst two-time premiership team in history. All this thing's in our favour. It's like, you know what? End of the day, you still got to get there and you still got to win them. And it's not an easy thing to do. Only one team can do it each year. And we've done it twice in three. So we can't be that bad. That, and that is no fluke. I mean, no one flukes a grand final. No, no one flukes even getting to the grand final, let alone winning it. You know, so, I mean... The, the people that and and that's why Grant Thomas should know better because he should know how hard it is to get to a grand final, let alone win them, and uh, and do it repeatedly and to have yeah. you know this, this um, recent or the last three years just an incredible win ratio and incredible uh, amount of success in that period. It's beyond you know it's I tell you who doesn't think it's a, a fluke, and it's every other club trying to you know, work out what our code is, you know, what, you know, what the recipe is. Um, make no mistake, they are hunting for us and they're not thinking it's a fluke. They're wondering, they're, they're scouring as to what we are doing. So, you know, the people that know, know that it's no fluke. Yeah, and I think some people may have arguments, maybe not so much this year, but in 17 that we probably didn't actually have the best list based on skill and talent, but we had the best still... team. And, and but... that's more important. Look, I was actually talking to someone who actually works uh, in the statistical analytical part of uh, the Geelong Football Club. Um, he actually goes to my wife's church, and uh, uh, I was actually talking to him, and he gets it. I mean, he, he really, really understands what's going on. And I was saying to him, and he agrees, um, because he was saying from his from, from his statistical analytical point of view, he goes... There's probably no team that the whole 22 have bought into the game plan. And I said to him, it goes deeper than that because you've got the whole, all 40 on the list, or all 38, all 40 guys on the list have bought into it. And to get 22 to buy into it is hard enough. But, you know, we've got the whole list from top to bottom uh, that's bought into the game plan. And, And I said, you know what? 
you, you're right there. You're 100% right. But I'll go a step further. I'll say that we're pr- there's probably teams in the league that have got more talent, man for man, more talent than us. And there's probably better game plans out there, right? But there's no combination of talent and game plan and buy in to the game plan than Richmond have right now. So, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the difference right there. Yeah. How do you we'll, get guys we'll, to buy in? And we'll touch on it more later. So I'll, I'll leave that one there because it's something we'll talk about a bit more after. But um, we'll get to our first question for the night. It comes from Twitter. I think all of these are from Twitter tonight. From The Tale, so Jones Racing 82 who do we see having a breakout year next year? Yeah, that's a real, that's it's such a delicious question. There's delicious questions <laughs> on the list tonight, and um, that's one of them. I, look, um, I'm really, I mean, he's already made an impact until he got injured, but I'm really looking forward to see a full season into Sydney Stack. Um, I think that's you know going to be huge. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, Tom Lynch with a full preseason. Um, you know, imagine, imagine the one-two punch of Lynch and Rewalt for the whole season. I mean, that's yeah. just going to be uh, spectacular. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward. To, uh, I'm intrigued with what um, uh, young Patrick Nash is going to provide this year um, coming up. A lot will be dependent on his uh, preseason and and what sort of work he can get into his uh, into his physique. Um, this season, my pet um, is absolutely Noah Bolter. My God, I, I'm, I just, you know, I just lick my lips and uh, really have to get the serviette out and, and dab the corners of my mouth when I see this kid run around. Um, you know, just with that power and speed and height, um, I think he slots in anywhere. I think um, it, it, I, I'd like to see him off the half back line uh, and with, with pinch hitting in the midfield. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. And uh, and then you've got, and, and this will be, I mean, all of the Ruckman, Coleman Jones and Chol, I'd like to see what happens there. Um, but I think, uh, I th- and it's about time, and I've got a question mark on him, but Oleg Markov, I'd like to see his speed. Like, I, I loved his final series in the VFL. You know that that uh, slicing speed. Um, love to see what he can do at AFL level. That could be a huge breakout for him. If he can Where do you crack. think he's best suited? He's obviously been played down forward and down back. Where do you think he's going to be most beneficial? Where, where will he get the most out of his ability? Well, you know what? This is this is where George Castagna can be put under a bit of pressure here. Um, you know, with just he's that he's that lightning quick. Uh, forward, but he can take a mark, not unlike George. Um, you know, the question will be on his forward pressure, you know, whether he can tackle like George and, and put pressure on like George does. Um, but I think he's a better goal kicker. See, I, I, he kicked a lot of goals this year. I can't tell you exactly how many offhand, but I think Markov's a better kick for goal than George. Yeah, so okay. in the end, in the end... You know, whilst I, I hear these ridiculous comments, he's not in the team to kick goals. I'll tell you right now, no, it might not be his number one on his agenda, but any time you're in the forward line, your job is to kick goals. It might not be your first or second, you know, key point, but, you know, third or fourth key point, you've got to kick goals. And if you're having, you know, two or three shots a game, you know, you've got to be nailing 
you know, at least 70% of those, yeah. right? So if someone is doing that, I think that jumps you ahead. Yeah, agree. And that's where I suppose Bolton kind of got ahead too because he was kicking goals and added more strings to his bow. And when we saw Castagna, his grand final was a pretty good game bar the five behinds. I mean, he, he turns them into five goals. He's probably a Norm Smith medalist. Look, and, and isn't that the point? I mean, I, I think I think his grand final summed up his season. I don't think I think he had a fantastic season, but it could have been an unbelievable season if he had nailed all his opportunities. And we're talking about you know goals from thirty to forty meters out that you'd expect an AFL footballer yeah, to kick. That's right. And you look at sort of comparison small forwards. I mean, remember when Luke Bruce for the Hawks had kicked like thirty goals straight one year? Right. Uh, not that we expect anyone to kick thirty straight. That that's pretty out of the box, but. Yeah, you want to be going at a, a better ratio than what he's going at. And I think he just had the jitters by the end of it. So hopefully a new season starts yeah. fresh because his pressure and his marking never dropped off. It was just the goal kicking that was always always his worry. So hopefully he can get that back. But um, yeah, Mark no forward could be a good option. Yeah, make no mistake, Chris. I, I'm I'm big on Castagna. I, I, I love him. I, yeah. I love him. And um, yeah, look, here's the thing. No one expects you to kick 30 straight. But where you're kicking them from, you should be kicking 30 straight. You know what I mean? Or at least 25 out of 30. You know, when you're kicking inside, you know, the 30 or 40 metre mark directly in front. I mean, it's not too many times he seems to be getting the ball, like, in a really dangerous spot and a really easy spot to be kicking goals. You give that shot to Tom Lynch, he's kicking that, you know, 10 times out of 10. Yeah, you know, no, so. that's that's a good point. And no doubt he'll work on that in the, in the off-season uh, my player for a breakout, uh, and this is on the back of his finals form in the VFL, is Riley Collier-Dawkins. I, I thought his final series was excellent. He stood up in just really key moments, kicked some clutch goals, and I just thought that showed a good sign of maturity, even though it's only going to be second year next year. I think he's going to build on it, and I wouldn't be shocked if he snuck in a debut game by about round seven next year. I'm, I'm not sure what role he's going to fit into the side, and I think it probably does come down to He'll play if there's like an injury or a, a play management kind of scenario. But um, if he can carry on his VFL finals form, I think he's going to have a, a really, really good season next year. No doubt. And uh, once again, um, be interesting to see what preseason does to his physique. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty slight, but he's got that beautiful speed, I mean, that we all love, um, that really sets you apart. Um, I agree with you. I, I thought he's got a bit of cheek about him. Um, got a bit of flair, got a bit, you know, bit, bit of dash about him, which is um, which is great. I think you're right. I, I think he does sneak in for a debut game. Um, you know, it, it's just it, it's just we've got so many kids and they're just really physically immature at the moment. You know, like body wise, um, that's what bodes so well going forward. You know, there's a lot of these guys. Um, slide of frame that you chuck a couple more pre-seasons and we're only talking about five kilos of muscle more right not not a whole lot but just be put together a little bit better and um bit, bit stronger and um my goodness you know and he's he falls into that category for me and it's the beauty of we don't have to rush these guys i mean it wasn't that long ago that all of our first round picks we essentially had to play because they were naturally better footballers than some of the guys we had to bring in and they were, they were just getting smashed so the fact we can let them develop and put that size on and adjust to their new body shape before we make him play AFL can only be a good thing. So hopefully he gets a, a bit of a run. Um, Pat Nashi mentioned, do you reckon the spot on the wing that Ellis has vacated opens up for him? 
No, I actually think Stack takes that one. Um, with Caddy on the other side or Macintosh. Uh, Macintosh, I feel, was really stiff. Um, I really, I, I thought, I don't, I don't know how they rate his kicking, but I actually rate his kicking. He's, he's actually a really smart kick and a penetrating kick, and is a good one-on-one contested mark on the wing. Yes, and maybe, maybe, maybe that's the role that Caddy has sort of taken ahead of him. Um, I, I'm not sure if Patrick Nash takes either of those spots on the wing. I reckon it might be maybe half half back or half forward. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on the Macintosh one, though. I was surprised he was dropped when he was, and even at that point in time, I was pretty confident he was going to be up there for our best and fairest. And I think he was in the top two or three at that stage. Um, but to not be able to make his way back in... It was a bit disappointing, but um, yeah, I, I still think his best footy is definitely best twenty-two worthy. So there's definitely a, a place on the wing for him if he uh, if he can work his way back in. And and or do they go the route trying to groom him for another position? You know, to to add versatility strings to his bow, like they did with Caddy. You know, do they, um, you know, push him forward or back? You know, just to add more strings to his bow. Who knows? There are these delicious combinations that, you know, better minds than us are trying to work out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's up to them and not us because it's, uh, <laughs> it's a headache to try and fit them all in. It's um, They've really set up a, an environment where anything is possible um, and nothing is impossible. So um, that's the exciting part. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. Uh, second question. It's a, a backup, back-to-back question from the tail. So Jane Dracing 82 on Twitter. Uh, a discussion around the, I suppose, the 666 rule in particular and its implementation mm-hmm. this year on mm. the back of the AFL sort of sprouting that this rule would see the highest scores we've ever had, but then on the it's actually ended up being the lowest scoring season in 52 years. So myself and the tail on Twitter were following this very closely, just a, a round-by-round breakdown and the comparisons. It, it, it was a shocking year, just round-on-round round and um, what did you make of the 666 rule? I mean, I, at the start of the year, it felt like, and the media people were kind of putting forward that this rule was going to hurt us the most because of the way we set up on the back of the square defensively in 17 and, and 18. Um, but in the end, it hasn't stopped us at all. But what did you think of the rule? Um, I loved it. I I think it, it looks how footy was meant to... It, it actually looks how footy was meant to start. Um in my opinion. I think it's a great rule. Um, and it does stop it does stop the the weaker teams from uh, just being offside and um, and sort of making an ugly game of it and that's not what we want. Um, I'm, what I'm really pleased is that the AFL because normally they knee jerk everything, right? And uh, what I'm really pleased with is that they've put a moratorium this next season that they're not going to change any rules which is fantastic. I think that is the highlight of the season so far, the fact that they're not going to you know, change any rules. But I, I actually really enjoyed the 666 rule. It was good from the sense that, like, those really close games, like you said, you couldn't just chuck another eight blokes behind the ball. You were, If you were behind, you were a genuine 50-50 chance to score that next goal and hit the front again with a minute to go. So that added a, a good bit yeah. of excitement to, to the game. But it just didn't... It didn't score as heavily as, as I think what the AFL would have liked and I think I don't know what, why that was I mean my theory is ties into another question about the runners 
Um, I think there's a lot more fatigued players out there with the runners not being out on the ground to promote the interchange. I think players were hanging out longer than they should have, which wears them out, which might have led to a bit more inaccuracy, which is the only other difference we would have seen year on year from other years if we're comparing goal-kicking stats. I, I like that rule too. I, I, I think it's ridiculous how some clubs or most clubs were using a runner. What, what game in the world uses a runner? Someone run a message out to somebody. It's freaking ridiculous. Um, I, I, I really love that rule too. I, I think, who, first of all, who gives a stuff what the AFL wants? The game is healthy right now, I think. And it might have been the lowest scoring year of all time, but do we want to see shootouts? You know, do we really want to see, or do we want to see, you know, tightly contested games? I think, I, I thought the margins were a lot closer this year. Um, and uh, across the like, I don't, I'm not sure we do want to see, you know, 200 points kicked in a game. I mean, you know, I, I like whether just just let the players go. You don't need to make it any more attractive than what it is. I thought it was a spectacular season, <laughs> but I'm a Tiger supporter, you see. So, um, do you do you think the runner rule? I mean, I, I didn't feel like we were affected too much because we were in the fortunate spot where we had pretty good leaders on every line. You had like Jack up front, Koch, Dusty in the middle, and Rance, Asprey, Grimes down back, so they could kind of coordinate things and keep things moving. But for a younger developing team, do you think that they maybe missed out on a bit more directional input from their runners, or do you think it should matter? Should be Given they're playing elite sport, they should be competent oh. enough to be able to cope with those changes on the fly. How do you learn? I mean, how do you learn if... Uh, I, I just... You, you adapt. Um, I, I think it's a really good rule. I don't think you need a runner to make the game. I mean, they're, they're not coaches out there, you know. All they're doing is giving, you know, ridiculous messages that can either wait or can be relayed. I mean, it's just organisation. I think it's sorted out people's organisation and leadership, which is which is good. And you can be a leader at any age. I mean, you know, Gold Coast Suns, they can work it out. Um, it's, I, I personally love the rule, Chris. That 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 and the six 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 rule, I think, were were winners. I think where you don't have to worry about um, stopping for the umpire to wave the flags or worry about the square, you can just run over the, the lines on the square, the 10 metre square when you're kicking in. All of this has found a balance and a level, in my opinion. You know, I thought it would have just been at this breakneck speed, but now we're seeing, you know, the full backs just taking their time. You know, there's no rush um, and it's found a level. Um, I the kick-out one's interesting because for all intents and purposes, you look at our squad and we were pretty well equipped to essentially get the ball to the wing in a matter of two or three seconds and away we go, but when you watch our game, 70% of our kickouts was a short chip into the pocket to Asprey. Mm. So we kind of bucked the trend with what they wanted us, well, not not just us, but what the league wanted to see. Um, so it's interesting to see teams take different approaches to that one. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. Like, I, I feel, you know, the, the AFL are trying to manipulate a result, and every time the players will find a way you know, just, just through actually doing it. Like, they're coming up with theories, all stuff in theory, and then the players go out and, and cheat the system, you know, and make it work for whatever they present with, which is, that's how it goes. They've just got to stop. In my mind, I, I, don't, I, I want to see them just leave the game, leave the rules alone for 10 years. 
Yeah. And then when you get to 10 years, leave it for another 10 years. <laughs> we don't need any more changes, you know? No, and I think it's like you sort of mentioned, it's the knee-jerk changes that really cause the most problems, I think. And the one that comes to mind in particular is the below-the-knees rule that was brought in because of the Gary Rowan leg break. And, okay, we don't want to see that happen, but the things that the guys get pinged for these days is crazy, especially when, as a junior footballer, you're taught to go and get the ball first. And blokes are doing that and then being penalised when a guy runs in second to the ball and they sort of collide with their legs. Like, I think... There needs to just be some common sense with those kinds of rules. Like, if you're going in feet first or legs first, okay, be penalised. But if you're actually trying to win the contested ball, I, I think they need to tweak that one. Yeah, oh, look, now that we've got it, um, yeah, I, I'll give you that one because I, I think we do want to see guys diving on the ball. We do want to see guys making the ball the object. No, no doubt about that. One I reckon um, that they've they've really fucked up on too was the Toby Green rule with the foot in the face. Um, yep. Now, any foot with raised studs, you know, that's just... I mean, I feel for the umpires, you know. It's it's really hard for them to, to try and distinguish, um, you know, these, these nuanced rules because the Toby Green one, he flat-out kicked the guy in the face, right, with his raised, with his raised foot. Now, that's dangerous. Jack Rewalt going for a mark, sticking his foot, raised studs in the middle of someone's back. I mean, that's been part of the game since time immemorial, since the game began. Yeah. You know, and, and they've umpired that out, or, you know, the AFL have ruled that out of the game. You know, it's, um, that's just, and, and that's not what we want to see. You know, they're worried about high scoring and, and, you know, and, you know, making the game more of a spectacle. Well, they're actually having the reverse effect by bringing in those type of rules and, and keep frigging with the game all the time, and and you're making it a free kick to contact below the knee when you attack the footy. You know, they've just got to back off, man. Like, seriously. When you were playing, did the AFL present the players or the clubs with the rules for each year, like what they do now, or is it something that's only happened in recent times? Like, were you aware of all their interpretations and what it was going to look like for that season? Uh, yeah, they would do, they'd do that at the start, but we're talking maybe one one or two rules at the most, you know, and even then we were bitching, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, uh, yes, they do. They do tell you, but then it's it's really uh, up to the umpires to implement it, isn't it? They're the ones that have got the biggest the biggest job. Um, yeah, and like and you said, it's hard enough for them as it is. There's, it's so oh. many is layers upon layers within each rule and the interpretations. It's four different interpretations. And I do yep. feel bad for him. Um, another sort of point that was... It's pretty prevalent in the last couple of years. We've been on... And this isn't complaining about umpiring, so don't get us wrong here. But we've been on the negative side of free kick counts for quite some time. Like, over the course of a year. Do you think that's just a byproduct of the way we play our game? Do we play, in your opinion, that close to the line that it warrants a lot of the free kicks? And to be fair, a lot of the times, I think the free kicks we give away are there and just. It's more so, I think, the ones we don't get in return for the similar actions. Yeah, we, we tweeted that one. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel. I, I've got no doubt, um, but definitely, absolutely, definitely, uh, our style of game um, puts pressure on the umpires to make a call because our attack and our, you know, when, you're, when your focus is attack on the man with the ball, um, you know, occasionally, and, and make no mistake, I think we're, you know, it's just so glorious to see. We, it's so exciting 
to watch a whole team make a focus of chasing the ball down and the ball carrier. Um, and then and then when we get it, we actually find another gear and go the other way and just bash it forward. So I, I don't actually have a problem with the ones that we get pinged you know, against against us. I, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's the ones that are similar that we don't get paid the other way. I, I, the differential is ridiculous, I, you know. Yeah, I think most people from most clubs would have the same kind of gripe, I guess. So, but the good thing is we don't need to worry about that. Our guys just that's, get on with it and do their own thing, and it, the result takes care of itself. That's and I, I think that's probably the key point here, Chris. Is that right now in our evolution, right now, umpires, crowd conditions, wet, dry whatever ground, interstate, home, G, anywhere we play, all those are just details that are all out of our control. We don't even focus on it. And we've got a game style and a bunch of guys that make it irrelevant and, and umpires are just irrelevant. And I just love our discipline. You know, the discipline that our guys show is just absolutely spectacular. You know, it's just, they just make us... They make us so proud week in, week out. You know, we're screaming our heads off, going, you know, losing our minds in the stands. And, you know, the guys are just shrugging it off and getting on with the game. It's it's so fantastic to see. Except for uh, Dusty in the grand final with Razor Ray. I think he had some choice words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he was saying what everyone was thinking, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? what? I mean, he would cop that like 20 times a game. Why ping that one? I think the other ones might have been a bit more under the breath. It was, Dusty was pretty direct, wasn't he? It was just straight at him. But I, I know <laughs> what you mean. He would cop it, no doubt, more than that during the game. Yeah. Uh, it was funny, though. That was. That, <laughs> that was a funny moment. Especially, I mean, you can, you can do that when the game's that far done and dusted. You can speak in mind a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I I get it, and I appreciate his sentiment, too. I think he was back <laughs> <for> money. <laughs> All right, our next question is from CJ, so at ChrisJ1012 on Twitter. It's all about the intellectual property, I suppose, part of the uh, game. We've, uh, we've lost Sean Greig to Geelong. We've lost Brandon Ellis to the uh, Suns, Carousella to Essendon. Um, obviously, they've been a big part of our team for quite a long period of time. Um, Carousel is probably a large part of the reason why we are where we are now. Is there any fear from within the club, do you think, in your, in your own opinion, about clubs getting our IP and being able to turn it into a favourable outcome for themselves? And even to an extension of that, like Conrad Marshall's books, they're excellent about our success over the last couple of years. The club obviously doesn't care because they were okay with the book being released. But is there anything in it, or does it, is it just teams can try and copy it, but it's just not going to work? Um, I think it's the... Um it's an absolute compliment. It's probably the highest or one of the highest compliments you can get that you, you guys are highly after. Um, and uh, I look at it the other way. You know, I see Grigger coming back to us, getting experience elsewhere, doing some uh, some uh, espionage on our behalf <laughs> and seeing what's going on behind the cat's uh, curtain and, uh, and, and feeding it back to us. So, uh, look, uh, look, I fear nothing. Um, I don't think it's uh, it's something that no one should waste two seconds thinking about um, because the game evolves, you know, game to game, let alone season to season. Um, so, and I think we've seen that. I mean, who would have thought that our game would have evolved with two legit ruckmen um, 
you know, for, for a year, nearly two and a half years, our game was you play a ruckman and a backup ruckman who's a, who's a position player. You know, who, who knew that we would evolve into two power ruckmen? I mean, you know, so that's only a small example. Um, but, um, you know, principles don't change. And I think people know, people already know what we do. Um, yeah. There was a beautiful, there was a beautiful interview with Grigger, and um, he he said, "Look, everyone knows what how Richmond play. Everyone knows what they have to do to beat Richmond. It's whether you can actually do it." <laughs> and that comes and, back to what you said at the top about everyone buying in. If you don't have well, that buy in, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter what you put in place. And I think when you're starting to try and manufacture that kind of buy-in it doesn't work it has to be pretty organic doesn't it yeah yeah it, it, there has to be a catalyst for it to happen and uh you know i i mean look i don't want to give away too much either i, I would hate to to give anyone else a, a heads up on this but there's got to be some sort of catalyst for that to happen that's why you can i mean as i tweeted uh you know it's like getting the the toy from big w that with batteries not included you know, you can get the toy, but if you don't have the batteries, the toy doesn't work. Um, that's sort of my my take on it. Um, uh, Grigger spoke beautifully about it. He said, look, you know, um, there's so many things that go into the recipe and no one, you know, there's so many variations. And if you're not set up exactly the same way with exactly the same mindsets, exactly the same values, exactly the same physical attributes, then it the formula might not work for you. Yeah. So, you know, um, and and evolution. Just you know, we we see we see from week to week, clubs come out in that first quarter, and we're not guaranteed to be in front. In fact, there's a good chance that we can be, you know, thirty points down at quarter time, and things aren't looking good, and that can bleed into the second quarter, because teams come out and they execute their plan. They do what they need to do against us, right? But what we've got is the ability to nut out what they're actually doing, isolate the issues, put that down onto a plan, communicate that plan to the players, and the players can actually adjust on the fly. And that is remarkable. That is absolutely phenomenal, you know, the ability that our players have to adjust. You know, the trust and the the level of communication, I mean... The communication is just so efficient um, and high quality. Um, it, it's it's like they're almost in the coaches' heads, you know. It's um, and I think the prelim final is a, a, the best example of that. We were what thirty odd points down, or whatever it was, at halftime against the Cats, and they were all over us. We just couldn't get a yeah. look in. And then second half, and I think even to this date, a few players have actually said in their interviews on the club website that even some of them thought, "Shit, we might be done here." But then there was an element of not, not again, not like it was in 18. And whatever they changed, whatever they spoke about at halftime, uh, you could tell in the first three minutes of that third quarter, we were a totally different team. And then the rest is history. Yeah, and what was the catalyst for that? You know, the skipper comes out and nails, nails the big ruckman right in the back in front of the members stand. And uh, we get a goal, swoop ball down to uh, Tom Lynch and he goals within the first 30 seconds. Yep. And it's that, it's that belief in each other and, and um, intention and intensity. You know, we look at the corresponding game with uh, Collingwood and uh, GWS. Um, 
Collingwood played like they had next week. You know, like they had another three weeks to go. You know, they really didn't get intense or they really didn't raise their efforts or, or do anything to change the flow of the game until 15 minutes in the last quarter, you know, and it was too too little too late. And yet they still nearly did it, didn't they? Yeah, yep. um, it, yeah, it, was, it so was brutal. That con- last 15 minutes was crazy. Yeah, and then you contrast that with us. We did it with enough time for it to make a difference. Do you know what I mean? We, we turned that on at half time. That's when they needed to turn it on, not 15 minutes into the last quarter. You need to turn it on with an hour of footy left, you know, or 70 minutes of football left because then you can actually do something about it, whereas they'd left it too late. And that is the mark of a good team, to realise that, hey, shit, if we don't do something now, we're in trouble, and then go out and actually do it. In the pressure of a prelim final as well, like, that heightens everything. We're not talking a home and away game. This is the the last game to get into a grand final. The, the pressure they must have felt would have been immense, so to, to pull it off is huge. Yeah, amazing. And, and so to... To touch back on the original question, uh, is there any fear of uh, IP being spread around the league? Look, you know what? Everyone knows our IP. <laughs> We're a pretty open book, aren't we? The club's pretty open what we do. Yeah. You can buy you can buy a couple of books on the newsstand. You can you can take any of our assistant coaches. You can employ them. Yeah, you, know, you can study our tapes. You can watch our training sessions. You know, everything that can be studied is known. All the knowns are there, right? Um, so all the IP is already out there. So, we, you know, everyone knows how you've got to beat Richmond. It's can you do it, though, <laughs> you know? And no one's worked it out. And here's the thing. We're, we're, we've still got another two to three gears to go up, you know? it's That's the exciting thing. I think our game is evolving Um you know, and 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 it's the the players. The, you know, it's the, it's the intention of the players and the and the attractor field that they're plugging into that's giving them the power. You know, more about that later when we get to it. No, it's a definitely exciting times ahead. Uh, mm. The next question I've dreaded because I've changed my mind multiple times on the answer. <laughs> it's from Suffering Suckatash, so uh, gravy making on Twitter. Assuming everyone is fit. Who is in our best 22 for round one and who are the next half a dozen in line to play? Now, everyone could quite easily sit there and shit can for this for our efforts for a best 22, but I challenge everyone to have a crack at this themselves because it's honestly not easy. Like, there's so many variations depending on what kind of game style you want to play, I suppose. And I think that's where our club as a whole is at now. We can pick teams based on who we're playing us and what the desired game style is. So I'll go through the team I put down first. Um, and I changed his back line about three or four times. So starting from the back line, Vlosten, Asprey, Grimes, Stack, Rance, Hawley, uh, Caddy, Prestia, Lambert, half forward line, Edwards, Lynch, Bolton, Rioli, Rewalt, Gagner, Soldo in the ruck, Martin, Cochin in the middle, and then Short, Nankervis, Graham, and Pickett on the bench. But even then, I mean, I've left out Broad, Baker, Ross, McIntosh, uh, Bolted, Troll, Naish, Egmosi, Smith, um, the list goes, you could quite easily substitute a few of those other guys in. Look, um, and there's, uh, except for Ellis, um, why wouldn't, you wouldn't change a winning team, would you? <laughs> I know, well, I, I, I know, I get that, but it's, and that's why I, I had a really hard time putting, like, removing Broad and Baker in particular, because they've earned their stripes, really. 
But um, I suppose it is is stack a better pound for pound football than Broad. Yeah, maybe might offer a bit more, but Broad defensively has been solid as a rock and has been pretty reliable for us. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to work this out. It's a delicious problem, and and um, and uh, opinions. You know, everyone can have their opinion. Um, I think it's such a such a wonderful um, a wonderful spot we're in. We get to legitimately play uh, the guys that are in form and fit and firing at the time. Um, but the question is, um, who would you play if everyone's fit? Um, well. There is an argument to say why would you change a winning team, um, you know, say for Ellis. And if, if that was the case, if you didn't want to change, if you wanted to honour that philosophy and keep the grand final team, um, that would be that would be solid logic. And I would replace Ellis with Stack. That would be my only change from the grand final team. So that would be Asprey, Broad, Grimes, Hooley, Vlosten, Short, uh, so Stack comes in for Ellis, then Prestia Caddy, uh, half forwards Rioli, Koch and Lambert, forwards Castagna, Lynch, Rewalt, followers Nank, The Tank, uh, Shedder and Dust Martin, and then the bench Bolton, Soldo, Baker and Pickett. What about right, so uh, Alex Rance? That's if you're going that way, right? Well, that's the that's the conundrum, isn't it? It is. That's that's what threw me when I was doing it. It's like, well, you, right, you, right, right. So, so I, I'm not sure if he's automatic. You know, when you have twelve, oh, look, he's going to play. Of course, he's going to play. I mean, he's he's Mister All Australian captain for crying out loud. So that's my that, that's if you want to go that way, right? But then my my other one, my other team that I did, I had Asprey, Rance, Grimes. So there you go. You're appeased. <laughs> Hooley, Vlosten, and either Shorty or Broad. Then uh, in the midfield on the wing, you've got Stack or Bolt. I I'm, know I'm, I'm not. I'm kind of hedging my bets here, but th- this is the way I'm thinking. Um, Stack or Bolton on one of those wings. Prestia in the middle. Caddy or McIntosh on the other wing. Then we've got Rioli, uh, Koch and Lambert. Castagna, Lynch, Rewalt, no surprises there. Um, Nank starts and changes with Soldo off the bench. Uh, Edwards, Dusty. Uh, and then on the bench, those Pickett, Ross, Graham, Bolton, Bolter, <laughs> you know, Stack. Who knows? Who, who knows how that's all yeah. going to play? But, um, you know, then you've got, then you've got Coleman Jones. Uh, Chold, how, how does he fit into things with another preseason under his belt? Um, what about Higgins? You know, question mark on him. Does he even come back? Um, you know, so there are some there are some questions to be answered. 100%. Um, I know we're talking a little bit off here about this, but the Ruck situation, I think, is going to give us probably the most headaches almost. Soldo obviously found himself in some ripping form um, has improved dramatically, and I think he's actually improved us as a team in terms of ball-winning ability in the middle. Nank's Nanking. He's a known quantity. You know what you're going to get with Nankervis, and he showed his worth in the in the grand final. Then you've got CCJ waiting in the wings, who I think no. he believes he's ready to go now, and he's probably got the most potential talent out of the three of those guys, but you don't want to... So you don't want to lose him, but you don't want to 
mess with this combination we've got at the moment as well. So how do we find that balance of playing the three of them? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't claim to have any, uh, any insight onto that either. One thing I will say, though, and I think um, these Ruckman, they're only very young, and we, we can't even be talking about their best footy. Hang on, honey. Shush. Shush. We can't even be talking about their uh, their best football until they hit their mid to late 20s. I mean, that's the exciting, that's, that's the exciting thing. I mean, Soldo uh, and Nank, they're still young men uh, in terms of Ruck terms yeah you know absolutely so, um the the trick is do we rotate them through and give all of them exposure making sure that they're all cherry ripe and their bodies are fresh and firing for the whole season um we could actually do that um i, I feel there's going to come a time where we're going to be able to play three maybe four big guys that can all knock in the teams of um the level of athleticism um, that we've got in the team. Um, you know, uh, it's exciting, man. If you've got a guy that can run and, and that's fast and got endurance and height, well, I think we've got that in Chole and Bolter. Um, you know, the athleticism of Coleman Jones, he can play... He, I mean, across half forward, you see him take those crashing marks? Yeah, he's um, a good grab. He's a great grab. He, really sticky hands. Um, you know, so... You've got a guy. He could almost he could almost play as a, a, a forward. Well, that's what a lot of people have said that he could be just just to get him into the team playing as a forward. But like, well, who's that at the expense of? Because we obviously love to have our small forwards roving at the at the feet of Jack and Tom. So it's an interesting. I think um, you sort of touched on it briefly, but I think we get, we might have the ability, or barring dramatic injuries to play and manage a few of these guys throughout the year just the rucks but the midfielder forwards and backs as well to make sure that we don't burn people that we don't run them into the ground you see how many games that Koch and Rewalt played throughout the year they started playing their best footy in the back half when they had a good run at it and it, it doesn't matter if we do the same thing again because we've proved that we can win games without those guys having to play and having to play big roles no that's right and that no, might sound right. arrogant. I fully take that on board that it, from an outsider perspective, that might sound arrogant talking about managing your plays, but it's what the good sides have typically done in the past. History has shown that Geelong didn't play Brad Ottens for a lot of home and away games, and then they would sort of ramp him up come finals time. Bang, he'd, you know, he'd be fresh and take the game on, and, and they get the result. And it is what it is. I mean, if, if your list permits that, and you're able to manage that, then that's your good fortune. I mean, Absolutely. And yeah, I don't think it's got anything to do with arrogance. I mean, it's it, it is what it is. I mean, every everyone would love to be able to do that, wouldn't they? I mean, we just find ourselves in just a, such a unique position right now. I mean, it's how it all unfolds is what is going to drive us to 110, 120 thousand members because everyone's going to want to find out firsthand. You know how they're going to. Yep. How they're going to manage this. And that's what makes it so exciting. All right. The last question for the night. I've left this one to last because I know this is a favourite topic of yours. Uh, it's from <laughs> What a Time to Be a Tiger. It's a good Twitter handle, by the way. Uh, so the beggar man. 
He wants to hear more about the culture that drives us. Uh, you mentioned in previous episodes about, I think it was John Northey, that most plays physically and even school-wise are similar and the major differences between the years and the connection. And he, he'll hear you elaborate more on that. Yeah, so it was actually Walsey who who said that the the guy that you're playing on is physically not that much different to you. Um, and they try and get the matchups so that that's the case. And I think, you know, the, the physical makeup of all the lists, um, you know, wouldn't vary too much. And I'm talking about 5% across the board <clears throat> in terms of the physical things that you can measure. So height, weight, speed over 50 metres, 40 metres, how high you can jump, how far you can kick, all these things, all these things. Um, and, you know, how do you that, – that's all great. So once you've got your list together, um, you've got your game plan on how you think you're going to win. And the trick becomes, you know – well, so the game plan revolves around <clears throat> how do we kick, you know, 15 oh, – how do we kick 100 points and how do we keep, keep the opposition to 60? Um, you've got your game plan. Now, how do we get the guys to play this way? Um, that's the magic, right? And and then once once it's rocking and rolling, then how do you manage guys that uh, think they should be in the team or they're disappointed? How do you manage disappointments? How do you um, how do you keep guys interested? How do you manage the personalities? You know, all these all these things are the difference that makes the difference, right? And what I've noticed, and and, and there's a book that probably explains this. So for those that are re- <clears throat> really, excuse me, for those that are really interested um, where I'm getting this stuff from, um, there's a book called Power Versus Force. It's by Dr. David R. Hawkins. Um, and this guy, what he's done is he's a scientist and he's mapped out uh, the map of human consciousness Um and he's calibrated it, and he's given a number value or a, or a logarithm number attached to each level of consciousness, right? I know this is getting a bit deep. But this, I like it. But if, if, if people want to know why we're in pre- and why we're so far ahead at the moment, this book really um, explains, and it's all about where you've, how you view the world. As, a, as an individual. And if you, if you go on there and you look up this map of consciousness, you've got, it goes from zero and you're dead, right? And then just above death, you've got shame, which calibrates at 20, guilt at 30, apathy, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride. And then when you get to courage, all of a sudden, that's like the midpoint. That's like a that's like a point when you get to the outlook or the or the world view of courage. All of a sudden, now you get into the power of the attractive fields that you can sort of view the world from. Up until that point, from shame through to pride, all of these are negative and and not very strong, or not very you know they're they're forceful attractive fields and. What that means is that when you act from that worldview, um, anything that you do can be tipped over pretty easy or you have to expend a lot of energy um, 
and, and it's a bit of a vacuum of energy. Um, it's very difficult to operate in, in that space, right? Then as soon as you get to the level of courage, all of a sudden you're tapping into a power, an attractive field of force, uh, an attractive field of power that overcomes force at the lower levels. And so what we're seeing right now, most clubs are operating around the 175 mark, which is pride, okay? And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's at the high end, it's at the high end of, of, the, of the force, of the force scale, but Richmond right now, they're, they're like, they're probably operating near the reason or love or joy aspect of this map of consciousness. And that calibrates, like, each, each point above the next one isn't, it's not a mathematical um, sort of thing. It doesn't go up evenly. It's to the 10th power. So it goes up logarithmically. And so even one point above the last attractive field is, is like a, a significant increase. So ri- right now, Richmond, I mean, you see the joy um, that our players play with, and they're probably yeah. up around the 540 mark. And, and this obliterates anybody who's calibrating at the level of pride. So joy calibrates at 540 to the 10th power. And most of the other AFL clubs, if not all of them, they're around the 175 mark to the 10th power. So 540 compared to 175, like that's infinitely more powerful. And so what what that looks like is everything that the Tigers seem to do seems to work. You know, they can bring in a guy that's had jail time in his grand final uh, and he plays so well, he nearly wins the Norm Smith medal. Um, that he can pick a a young Aboriginal kid with a questionable background in Sydney stack, pick him up off the you know list and he slots straight in. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you've got Dusty Martin who, um, you know, he's a bit of a catalyst for the whole thing. You know, Jack Rewalt. It attracted a quality recruit like Tom Lynch. You know, he sees the joy that they play with and the joy in the fun and he sees Higo given his post-half-time speech out in the huddle out on the field and they're all cracking up laughing in the middle of a you know really intense game and tom lynch is watching on tv and goes that's attractive i want to be part of that i think he's Um, even said that maybe not specifically about higgins but he said that the the happiness about the place when he walked in has just been amazing yeah and so and so they're plugged into this attractive field that is you know nearly what is it it's like nearly 300 325 or whatever to the 10th power more powerful than most of the other clubs are plugged into right and that therein is the secret that is the secret and i can give you one and i'll give you the brief story of it and this is how i got onto this stuff right when i got to richmond um I had a game plan because I played a lot of reserves. I played 36 games with the Bulldogs, but I played a lot. I played a lot more reserves footy. I wasn't really regarded as a senior player. When I got to Richmond, um, I, ha- I had a plan that I was going to be the best prepared player in the league, not just f- for Richmond, but in the league. Um, then I was going to do exactly what the coach told me, not my impression of what the coach wants me to do. And thirdly. I was going to be the best team man I could be. I was going to focus my whole game on the one percenters. So the shepherds, tackles, spoils, anything that I can do for the team. 
because I figured if I did those things, I'd become invaluable to the team. All right. And as we saw, I mean, it was spectacular to the to the point where I got so good at the one percenters that I nearly won the Brownlow doing those one percenters. And what happened was, was that my teammates loved me. You know, they loved me playing with them because I was doing things for them, like blocking and bringing the ball to the ground at, at, at a really high level. Um, the coaches loved it. Um, the media got onto it. And, you know, I got back more than I could ever hope for by giving to the team, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that calibrated, you know, that calibrated around the, the willingness and acceptance mark, which was, you know, 350 to the 10th power in terms of attractive field. So I was actually able to plug into a power and I was getting results greater than the sum of my parts, right? Whereas before at, you know, at, uh, at the Bulldogs, I was probably, you know, anger, which calibrates at 150, or pride, which is 175, probably somewhere in between there, between anger, desire, and pride, right? So that, that's all negative force, Right. So when I plugged into the willingness and the acceptance, I was plugging into a power that was greater than the sum of my parts. Now, I get to the end of the year, I nearly win the Brownlow medal. And I get this stupid idea, if I could nearly win the Brownlow by being unselfish, imagine if I, you know, tried to, you know, just do the same things, but, you know, with the intent to win the Brownlow. Um. And then that went back into, I went back below the line to, you know, pride or desire. And uh, I unplugged from the power and then I, I disintegrated. You know, I was out of the game within 18 months. So that's, that's how I clued into this thing. And then I started reading this book, Power Versus Force. And I, I just thought, oh, shit, this is exactly what happened. You know, this is exactly what happened. And then, you know, um, that the, all the same things that I was doing but from a different worldview and a, and a different view on the world, um, you know, it became destructive instead of constructive. Mm. So, you know, and uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But it's a great book. That's what they're plugged into, folks. That's what the other clubs don't understand. That's the reason why there's probably another two or three or more premierships left in this group. And that's the reason why that it doesn't matter. They can have our blueprint. If you're not plugged into that attractive field of joy or love, then you're not, it, it, you're missing the batteries. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you, you're not going to get it. And you can't force it. Can you like, you can't it's, see the, uh, the love and all that they have for each other and force it upon your own playing group. It just has to be, it just has to happen. No. And that, well, that's where you've got to have that, um, that, um, that occurrence that happens, that catalyst that sort of brings it all together. And that's where Penny and Benny come into it. You know, Penny and Benny have been the architects of this, whether they're conscious or not of it, but they put enough principles in place and they became the catalyst of it. You know, they showed love and acceptance towards Dimmer to, you know, you know, not sack him, you know, even though everyone was calling for his head. Um, you know, they just showed great leadership and they were leading from that, from those attractive fields. And so, you know, that, that's kind of what happened. And that's why I'll say Collingwood, I think, I don't think Eddie, I don't think they can win with Eddie Maguire at the helm, given where we're at right now. We've set the bar. 
and I, I think Eddie Maguire, because Nathan Buckley's really close. I think Nathan Buckley's really close um, to unlocking it, because uh, but I, I'm not sure if he gets it completely, and I don't think I don't think the environment is conducive under Eddie Maguire's sort of lead. Do you think it was almost a little bit forced though with Bucks because? He didn't really change until we had our success and it was kind of documented from Conrad in the book about what the things you touched on. It just felt like he changed because he saw that was the way for... I, I don't, I'm not sure how genuine it was. I mean, it might be now. He might have actually really embraced it, but initially I'm not too sure how real it was. No, excuse me. No, I agree with you. Um, and, of course, you've got to start somewhere... Um, and, and that's that's credit to Nathan Buckley's intelligence, you know. Like, first of all, you've got to see what it feels like, um, and, and you know, it's not it doesn't come naturally to him. You know, he, he's he calibrates around the pride level, right? And he's always been, you know, a great player himself. But he's driven for success, and he's trying to work out <clears throat> he's trying to work out that code of, of why it's working for Richmond and, and not him. So I agree with you. I, I think it is very forced, um, but he's onto it. <coughs> he's onto it. Yeah, yeah. He, he's onto it. It's just, um, yeah, it, he's definitely onto it. And I think there are other clubs that are onto it. And I'm just not sure if they know how to get to that. How do they, how they get to that uh, heart based uh, leadership? That heart based. Um, communication and leadership that actually is the catalyst for the whole thing. So, because once they get it, <clears throat> that's no guarantee that they'll be able to catch up. No, but it's all there for them. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, this, you know, it's all there for them to plug into themselves, but it, it's not easy. No, it, it's not. It, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? Um, and but I definitely agree with you. I think Nathan Buckley definitely he's definitely forcing it because he's seen it work for us. Yeah, he's seen it work for us, and and it can and it does work. Um, but he's just working out, or oh, what's the next step? How do we how do we achieve that? Yeah, I think just the the forcing it's only going to get it so far, <laughs> isn't it? Like it'll get him maybe ninety percent of the way there, but just that last ten percent to get him over the line is where they might fall short. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, that and 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 that's that's pretty much all it is from from my perspective. And when I say all it is, all it is, but it's a lot, right? You know, to to be vulnerable enough, you know, to be in your heart and communicate from your heart and connect your heart and mind together, you know, um, it's it's very vulnerable, <clears throat> and it's a very um, you know, it's a very, dare I say, and I'm going to get held down, but it's a it's a yin aspect of our personalities. It's a feminine type uh, connection um, aspect of our masculinity. You know, and in our in our industry, that's very difficult to sort of nurture. And the club's done a brilliant job of it, and hopefully, like you <coughs> said, hopefully this means we'll have a, a bit more success to come. But I mean, they. They all look like they've embraced it. There's no signs of it slowing up. And, you know, we're dropping Alex Rance back into this team, a fully fit Sydney stack. There's plenty of positive things to come out of um, the Tigers for 2020. Unbelievable, mate. Really exciting.
Very good. All right, well, that'll do us for tonight for the first version of Ask the Oracle. I thought that went really well, so <laughs> we'll run another one of these in the near future. So if anyone else has got any more questions they would like us to discuss about the Tigers, feel, feel free to send them through to us. You can tag us on Twitter or inbox, whatever you feel like. Um, it's just good to talk Tigers in the off-season. It's a, a long time between the end of the season to the start. We've obviously got the draft coming up, which we'll uh, talk with the AFL Draft Central boys about later on as well. But, um, no, very good to talk Tigers with you again, Justin. Thanks so much, mate. Absolute pleasure, Chris. Good on you, mate. And uh, let's wait for uh, mainly me to get hammered for my best 22. So come at me, all you Twitter trolls. <laughs> no, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your time again, mate. We'll definitely do this again soon. No problem, mate. God bless. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!